We've been talking uh, so far about Moses, and we've been through the book of Exodus and kind of covered 80 years of Moses' life. Moses' life kind of goes in a 40-year spurts, um, and uh, we left last week, we left Moses and his family on a donkey headed back to Egypt, and Moses is talked to God through a burning bush, and basically God convinces Moses that he actually can do everything that God's telling him he can do. See, Moses never really doubted what God could do. He just doubted his own ability in what God was asking him to do. I think that we probably all can uh, associate uh, to what Moses is feeling in our lives sometimes. When God asks us to do something and we're like, I don't know, can I really do that, God? But God is calling us to more. And that's what he was calling Moses to do. So he sends Moses back to a place where he leaves in a hurry. He leaves a, a place where um, he had a price on his head. And when he goes back and he returns, guess what? No parade, right? No parade for Moses. But Moses does what God asks Moses to do. He says, go to Pharaoh and tell, tell him to let my people, the Israelites, go. It's time for no more slavery. It's time for no more oppression. I've heard their cries. It's time for them to get out of Egypt and go to the land to which I promised Abraham 400-some years earlier. Actually, quite a bit longer. But guess what? Pharaoh says what? Nope, not doing it. Not doing it. He just says no. And then he says his reply, actually, and, and he says, who is this God you speak of? And last week we talked about five different questions that Moses asked, and one of the questions was, who is, it that, who, who is this God, right? And, and he thought, well, this is the Israelites that's going to ask me this question. But it was actually Pharaoh that asks who is this God that you speak of? But he's coming at it from a different angle. Pharaoh, when he became Pharaoh, thinks that he is a God. And so he equates himself or parallels himself with God. And Pharaoh makes it harder after Moses says, hey, it's time for them to go. God says, let his people go. And Pharaoh says no, and in fact, he makes it harder on the Israelites to do the work that they're doing as slaves. He makes them make concrete uh, bricks with no straw, and he did things like that. And uh, um, so God tells Moses, all right, go back, speak to Pharaoh. Remember all the signs that I told you that, that you should use? Throw the stick, throw your staff on the ground, make it a snake, all those things. And it doesn't get through. Pharaoh does not comply. And so we know kind of what happens. Hardship ensues. And um, just to give you a, a, a nutshell of what today is going to look like, we're going to fast forward through 20 years like that today, okay, because we're getting towards somewhere. But Pharaoh doesn't, doesn't comply. He, the, the hardships, they, they come along. There's 10 plagues that start. They, they start, there's locusts and frogs and, and blood and all the, and the last one, the last plague is the one that eventually softens Pharaoh's heart. The Lord instructs the nation of Israel on what they need to do as uh, what, they now, what they knew as the Passover. 
but they were supposed to sacrifice an animal and take the blood and, and mark their homes with it on the, on the doorpost and over the top of the door. And when the angel of the Lord came through, he would pass over their house if that's what they had done. Well, obviously, Pharaoh did not do that because he didn't believe and he didn't, probably didn't even know. And he lost his firstborn son. And he succumbs finally to the requests of Moses and God to let the Israelite people out of Egypt. This event, this Passover time, was a significant event in the history of Hebrew people, right? It's something that they celebrated annually for centuries, all the way through the, old, the rest of the Old Testament. And even when Jesus was walking the earth, the, the, the Last Supper the time, the day, the day that Jesus was arrested to be crucified, they were celebrating the Passover feast. So it's an event that was like the pivot point that shaped a major part of who the Israelites were as God's people, how he delivered them. One of the biggest parts in, in their lives on how they got out of slavery. And they choose not necessarily to remember that part, they just remember that they were saved. And the final, the, the Passover event was the final straw, and we read Pharaoh's response in Exodus chapter 12, verse 31. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron, and he says, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, and go. And also, bless me. So he wants them to go. He wants you to bless me because we're going through it right now. I just lost my firstborn son. But he says, go. And from that point forward, from the time Pharaoh releases the Israelites, the Israelites were in a season of following. Literally, following. Right? The scripture says, that 430 years to the day, the nation of Israel lived in Egypt. That's pretty cool. God does some pretty neat things. Um, remember how it, how it came about, but it's, Scripture tells us that 430 years to the day, they, uh, when they came to Egypt is when they left. Four plus centuries living mostly, of that, most of that time, under slavery uh, and that's a long, long time, isn't it? How many of you are 430 years old? No. Yeah. It's about, uh, and just think about the vast number of memories and traditions and lifestyles that were developed because of where they were in that lifetime. It's 20 generations of people, okay? 20 generations. And if you know anything about the Israelite people, they're pretty traditional folk, Right? Think about your own life. Think about just your own family, okay? What traditions do you, have you developed in your own family in just a short amount of time, okay? Uh, the tr what traditions have we developed in our church? In three years of us being here uh, as, as your pastor, okay, we're coming up on uh, just almost three years in about a month, a lot of traditions have been developed, okay? It, whether they be big or small, we've, we've started to, to foster those, right? 
These things, they're, they're things that we hold very dear to ourselves, right? Maybe they're, you know, every once a month, once a year, once a week. But they're things that we've established because they're appealing, right? That's why we do stuff like trunk or treat, because they're fun. And it's something that we can pull people in and maybe introduce our church uh, to people that wouldn't necessarily come to um, uh, an a, event like this right here. Uh, maybe, uh, and so they're appealing. They're fun. Uh, maybe they're because they're memorable, because they make us feel good. Whatever the case is, we continue to do them. And we do our best to replicate that in our lives. We do that, um, we, we do our best to revisit that first great memory in our hearts. Do you do that maybe with your significant under, your spouse, your whatever the case is, that first time you met, first date, whatever, your wedding day, things like that. Do you always try and revisit that great first memory? And then you try and, and redo those things. You see them on Facebook a lot, uh, reenactment pictures, right? When, when you were kids and then when you're all grown up, it, you try and remake those memories. Um, but regardless... Throughout our lives, we love to return to the time, to a time that we hold close to us. We tend to revert back to the past when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate. Because that's what grabs us. That's what we remember. That's what we know. And so we go back to the past even when we maybe shouldn't. So Angie and I, we've been married uh, almost 20 years, and we've established quite a few traditions in our, in our lives. They revolve around important times, okay? Uh, they revolve around important events in our lives, um, just us two. They revolve around us and our kids, and uh, maybe they happen around holidays, special events that are special to us, right? Um, and we enjoy them. Uh, and, and each time we exercise those traditions, we go back to the beginning and we think about um, October 11th when we went on our first date to a high school football game that I'm sure would really wooed her. Yeah. But, you know, 20 years later, here we are. Yeah. So it's good. Um, the first time we had that moment, though, that it, it created tradition, whatever those moments are. And we have a lot of them in our lives, and we like to go back to them. But we're also continuing to build new ones and looking forward. And that's what we need to do in all of our lives. And as Christians, as, and as couples, as families, that's the way we need to live our lives is moving forward, right? So our lives, we love to go back to a place where things were better, right? You always hear about the good old days. Because of the way that they make us feel, the special memory that we had around that specific time. Maybe it's a certain holiday before your grandparents passed away. Maybe it's a certain time of the year that you just always remember. But in our lives, we cannot live like the Israelites lived in their following season. When they were constantly looking backwards. They were, they were on, on this track towards the promised land, but they were constantly looking backwards. But, because God is calling us to live our lives looking forward. That's the only way that we can follow him, is looking forward. Because it's impossible. You cannot follow something that's behind you. But the Israelites, they tried to. 
So here's a prelude to 20 years of following, okay? The Israelites were released on that Passover night. The next day, Pharaoh says, get out of here. And they get up and go. And um, God immediately delivers them, okay? Immediately, he comes through for them because they have the Red Sea in front of them. They have the Egyptian army behind them because Pharaoh, um, he reconsiders. He has his little buyer's remorse or a little um, releaser's remorse. And so he, he says, go get them. We need them back. Who's going to do all this work, right? And so he goes and gets them, but God made a way. And Moses holds that staff out and the the Red Sea parts, and they go through on dry ground. And they all assemble in front of Mount Sinai, and they kind of just set up camp right there. And God makes a way for them to get through, and they're free for the first time in 430 years. And they have no idea what to do, no clue whatsoever, because they've just been told what to do their whole life, and their parents their whole life were told what to do. And those parents and their grandparents and their great for 20 generations... That's what they knew. And so God tells them, hang out here, make camp, and we're going to get organized. And the journey begins. And they take a census because they need to know who's here, right? They need to know who's here. How, member, how many of you remember we uh, talked about how the Israelites got to Egypt and it was through Joseph being really smart and becomes vice pharaoh. And he brings his family. His, uh, his dad's name was Jacob. Jacob brings his family. Do you remember how many people were in that family? Do you remember how many came? Seventy. Seventy people came to Egypt in that family. Pretty cool. But they take a census and it goes from 70 to 603,550 men. And I don't know why they never count women and children, okay? Maybe they couldn't count that high. I, I just don't know. But rough estimate, because they did, it says that they didn't count the Levites, which was the pastoral or the, the priestly uh, tribe, or the women and children. So a rough, a rough estimate was they went from 70 people in Jacob's family, in 430 years grew to just over 2 million Israelites, that's a huge workforce that Pharaoh just lost. And it's the beginning uh, of Exodus. It, it says that, it, just like in the beginning of Exodus, it says they were fruitful and multiplied, right? It's like 27,000 people a year. That's a lot, okay? And so from there, they're camped out at Mount Sinai. And God gives them the law, the Ten Commandments. He organizes them. He reveals to them how they should live. Because God didn't want the nation of Israel, his chosen people, to live like other nations lived. The, because they worshipped idols. They were impure. They had other issues that they, that they dealt with. They um, ate unclean animals. They didn't want to do those things. So God sets up this structure for them. And he gives them the blueprints for the first traveling church called the tabernacle that went with them wherever they went. And all the little things that go with the, the traditions that the, um, the Jewish faith hold were established right there uh, on that mountain. And they were there for about a year. And then time marches on. And so did the nation of Israel in the wilderness for 20 years. And you know what they did? They complained a lot. They complained a lot. This water tastes gross. 
well, you're in the wilderness. You got water. Where'd that come from? This water tastes gross. And so uh, God gives them water from a rock, and it's really good. Of course it is. It's God water, right? It's even better than boss water. You're welcome. He, he, they, they, say, they complain about, oh, we don't have enough meat to eat. We don't have enough meat. And so what does God do? He brings in all these birds from who knows where. And there's so many birds that they're like waist deep in birds. And they're so, they have so much food that it made them sick. They have so much meat that it made them sick. So he over, uh, oversupplied. And um, they complained about, oh, this food, God, this food that you give to us every day, it just kind of happens to show up on the ground every day. We, wait, we go to bed and it's not there. We wake up and it is there called manna. It, it's really getting old. Do you think you could change that? You think, it, you know, um, I don't know. Could you make some pumpkin spice manna or something? I don't know. It's fall. Could you do that? Can you pull that off? No. Like, it's hot. Well, yeah, it's hot. They complained because traveling around was hard. Okay, I get that because it is. Okay, they, they complained because they were stuck in the desert. Why are we out here just following this cloud around? Yeah, they complained about Moses and Aaron's leadership, right? All things that we can probably relate to in modern times if we parallel those to leadership structures and where we live. We complain a lot too, don't we? But... Finally, those complaints, they come to a point of decision. And the Israelites have a choice to make. Because after 20 years of wandering around and following God and Him protecting them and providing for them, they're on the edge of the promised land that God says is yours. They're on the, it's called the promised land. It's not just called across the river, okay? So God is the land that God promised to Abraham Long, long before they even made it to Egypt. So Moses does what God tells him to. He sends 12 spies into the land, and they go and scout it out. And they, they're supposed to go and scout out, you know, just to get the lay of the land, to kind of figure out how we're going to set up camp, where are we going to ambush this group, how are we going to take this, this, this city. Instead, they go, and they, their minds are blown by the things that they see and how much they're not able to, and they start to doubt God being able to work through them and deliver the Israelites from Egypt. Ten of the spies come back, and they saw only what they could accomplish. After 20 years of following God throughout the wilderness and him taking care of them all, right, and, and providing for them, they could only see what, God, what, what they could accomplish, not what God could accomplish through them. Remember, this was promised land. He, it was already theirs. Not the, if you conquer it, you can have it kind of land. It was promised to them. They just had to go in and do what God told them to do. And the people of God chose against the will of God. In their hearts and minds, they were a mind. Uh, and, and you can find this in the, in the book of Numbers, which uh, if you want to go to Numbers chapter 14, we find the, the result of the 12 spies coming back and giving a report to all of the assembly of, of Israel and Moses and Aaron. And this is what they decide to do. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. You can already tell it's not going to be good, huh? 
All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said to them, If we had only died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to the land only to get us to fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they, and they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. That was their plan. That was their plan to go back to Egypt. Remember, back to Egypt, right? This only place that they knew, the only place that they had memories of, the only place that they hadn't established any kind of family tradition, right? And, uh, and so you kind of understand it's kind of their safe space. It's what they were uh, secure in. And it's a place that they wanted to return to. They wanted to go back to the past. But remember, you can't follow something that's behind you. And do we remember what Egypt was? Remember Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. I have, this is God telling Moses at the burning bush what's going on. I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. Sounds like a blast. Let's go back there, right? right? Let's go back to the misery and crying and suffering that we endured for 430 years. Let's do that. Can we do that? That's God's point of view, right? This is what God heard his people saying. So imagine how bad it really felt for the Israelites, right? And how do you think? So this is what they wanted to go back to. It's what they were holding on tight to. They'd spent 20 years relying on God for food and water and protection from the wilderness and guidance through all this uncertainty. And all they longed for was to go back to Egypt. So today, in your following season... In this time of your life, wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus, whether that hasn't started yet, whether you've been a Jesus follower for decades, we're always following in order to take the next step of faith that God is calling us to. So in your following season today, the question is, what is your Egypt? What, what is it that... You're always being drawn back to that is not healthy, that is not safe, that is, that, but it just always keeps pulling us back because it's what we remember. It's what we're safe, that, that safe feeling in our lives. In times of weakness, we're going to tend to return to the old, the old life, the old things that we did, the old way, right? But remember, when we surrender our lives to Jesus... And we commit our lives to be a follower of Christ. The Apostle Paul reminds us that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And the Apostle Paul really, really needed a Savior like that. If you remember anything about Paul... Um, and remember his past, before he became a Christian, his job was to kill Christians. 
and to persecute them and to put them in jail. And so Moses killing one Egyptian um, was just a drop in the bucket compared to the chaos that Paul created in, in the lives of Christians, right? So the Israelites could have really used those words from Paul, that all thing that behold, he, that you're a new creation when you're in Christ. They didn't have the opportunity to be in Christ. That's why Jesus came. So, because they spent more than 20 years, and for uh, for more, they spent more than 20 years, um, more for the rest of their, and many for the rest of their lives, um, after that decision, following again. And they had to go back to the wilderness. And because they tried to follow something that was behind them, and we can't follow things that are behind them. So we have a choice to make, to follow forward, to have our eyes fixed on what is in front of us and release the things that are behind us. When we give our lives to Jesus uh, and, and step into following him, God's calling us to more every day. And it doesn't mean that you're going to, on Monday, you're going to get saved. On Tuesday, you're going to get baptized. And on Wednesday, you're going to be a missionary uh, across the globe. That's not the way it works. That's not what God's even calling us to do. God's calling us to more every day, and it looks different for all of us. And he's going to work through you and, and in you to, to reveal that to you. And, it's, and, it, and it can be just small steps every time, and that's good. Because eventually, because those small steps are, are following forward. Would you rather take small steps forward or big steps backwards, right? So God, God is calling us to more every day. And, and we can't reach that calling if we focus on what's behind us. And, and this is not uh, an idea that we just forget everything that we've done in the past. Our past is who we are, right? And we can learn from it. Or we can be dragged down by it, right? And, and we continually return. If we continually return to those Egypts in our lives, then those things that, you know, the, the things that we just can't let go of, um, those things that bind us and weigh us down, um, it's a tool that the devil uses to hold us back. Because it, that's Satan's only defense, right? It, to overwhelm us with guilt and to cripple us with doubt that God can use us just like he did to Moses, right? That God can use us for anything because of what we've done before. That's not true. And we got to let go of that. And, and um, it, he just wants to remind us of those little things that might have damaged us in the past, but that, that was a way of life that we embraced. And so we let go of that. That's the only defense that the devil has. And it's a life of surrender that leaves those Egypts behind us. And so a life of surrender as we follow Christ puts our hearts and lives in the hands of the Father. And that's where we want to be. And it allows him to use us for his will and his purpose. Even if we think like Moses did. Remember what, how Moses thought? He's like, are you not sure, <clears throat> are you not sure how God could use us, right? I don't, how could God use me, right? That's what... That's what Moses said, who am I? That's what Moses thought, but he can. He used Moses, he can use you, and he does. He did use Moses, and he does use you. More than you think he does. 
If we have, uh, even if we think like the minority, remember how many spies went into the land? Twelve. Ten came back and said, nope, can't do it. But two, right, two were opposed. They were confident. They were confident. Joshua and Caleb saw the potential that God saw in the land that he had already given to them. More importantly, they believed what God had told them, that the land was theirs and that he was going to give it to them. He promises to be with us too. And he invites us to follow him. And he invites us to learn, to, to be in his word. Take time. Take five minutes if you, if you can. If you don't feel like you have five minutes, get the Bible, the YouVersion Bible app and have it read to you on your car ride to work. Whatever it takes to study and to learn just a little bit every day about your, and how you can build that relationship with God. That he invites us to grow in him. To stretch our faith, to put us in positions where, man, I don't know if I can do that, God. And then you do it because God helps you do it and you understand, oh, that was him. That was God. And then he invites us to surrender. Because that's what our following season is all about. It's about learning and growing and then surrendering to God what is his. And we do it daily. And to follow forward... That's what we need to do, to learn and to grow, instead of trying to follow what's behind us and letting go of the things that we've done, the things that we've said. Now, that might mean that there's an apology needed, and that's appropriate, that's good. I don't know. But we cannot follow things that are behind us. We always need to follow forward. It's important in our lives, and God can do great things when we choose to surrender to him. And the Israelites, they chose poorly, right? And they got another 20 years of following in the, in the wilderness instead of taking over the promised land and experiencing what God had for them. Eventually, they get there, and we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But... I feel like it's important that we all understand that what we've done before cannot control us any longer. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we need to be eyes on him, looking forward, using what we've done in the past as a testimony to how, God, how far God has brought us, using what, what we've done in the past as a springboard to, to, to allow others not to get there, Whatever that takes, but God can use what you've done in the past, but we got to let go of it first, if that makes sense. Let me pray for you, and then uh, if you're interested in heading over for the live nativity uh, meeting, that would be awesome. It's going to be a great week, and uh, I appreciate you guys being here today. It's been a good, good day in the house of the Lord today. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we love you, and we're thankful, Father, that you can use us despite who we are, because we are imperfect people. We have messed up. We've done things that we're not proud of. We've done things that have hurt others. We've done things that, um, we, we've said things that uh, are awful. And, and that might even just be today. But Father, we just give those things to you. 
we surrender them to you. And we ask, Father, that you lead us and that would give us the ability to have our eyes forward always on you. That we don't allow the things to, that, that are behind us to control who we are as a follower of Jesus. That, that, that they don't hold us back and be an obstacle in, in our testimony to you and to this world and who you are in us. Lord, you've brought all of us a long, long way. The fact that we're sitting here in this building, worshiping together today, listening to your word and your scripture be read aloud, is testimony to the fact that you have brought us a long, long way compared to where we were on Friday or 20 years ago. It doesn't matter. Every person's journey is different, but you've brought us a long way. And we're excited to see where you take us from here. Lord, help us to just continue to have a fire in our hearts to seek you out as we follow in this season and take the next step of faith as we listen to what you have for us. Help us have a great week, Lord. Protect us. Give us peace. Help our conversations to be healthy. And help us to impact those around us for good. Help us to love our neighbor the way that we should, the way that you taught us to. And, Lord, we'll just be very careful at the end of every day to give you the glory for all that you do in us and through us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Have a great day. We'll, have a, we'll see you Wednesday night at intermission. We'll see you across the parking lot at the meeting. Have a wonderful week and a good afternoon.